you to open up your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews. We're going to go to Hebrews 10. It is a beautiful thing that God, through His Word, gives us vision and clarity on issues that might be uncertain. Today we're going to talk about fellowship and what is fellowship and what isn't fellowship and how can I be better at practicing this essential. We began on Wednesday night with an introduction of our summer study, The Essentials, and we talked about what is essential, like water, and what is not essential, like Cokes. And we talked about, at length, the varieties of drinks that could be Cokes, Sprite, Dr. Pepper, Pepsis, and all of those things, but that's, that's beside the point. If you love Jesus... If you want to grow in your love for Jesus and grow in your love for others, then there are six essentials that the Bible teaches us that we need to continually practice so that we can grow and we can develop. And we're going to start with fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship is often misused. Uh, They'll say, let's have a donut fellowship, and they'll just go eat donuts, and you're just That's called eating donuts together. That's not necessarily fellowship. Fellowship can be something that's formal, like right now you are fellowshipping with one another as you're hearing the Word of God being taught. But fellowship can also be informal. Let's say you do go to a coffee shop and you eat donuts and you talk about the things of the Lord. Or if you're just an overall blessing and encouragement to the person that you're interacting with, that's fellowship. Fellowship isn't just hanging out, it's hanging out with the purpose of sharpening one another in our faith for the Lord Jesus Christ, encouraging, comforting, praying for. In our society, we went through a drastic example of uh, extreme loneliness and isolation when we went through the whole COVID thing. And we are still feeling the ramifications of what happened when we locked down and when we isolated. And some turned to to social media for their outlet and their interaction and the suicide rates spiked and all of these terrible things. God has made us to enjoy people. He hasn't made us to be an island. And as we enjoy those people, if I love Jesus and you love Jesus, we share that relationship together and it encourages us. And it sharpens us, and it guides us, and it pushes us more to Christ-likeness, all right? A big part of fellowship is showing up on Sundays and Wednesdays. Why? Well, because that's where your other brothers and sisters in Christ are. We have set aside time of the week to say, hey, I'm going to come to church at this time. Why don't you come to church at this time? And let's praise the Lord through song together. And let's study his word together. And then let's spend some small group time or some informal time interacting. In Hebrews 10, we get probably the, the most helpful definitive verses on fellowship and what it is meant for. Let's start in verse 19. It says, therefore, brethren, since we have a confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have uh, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, 
having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and bodies washed with pure water. The argument that the author is making, and we don't know who the author is, is the the all-supremacy of Christ. That Christ is greater than Moses. That Jesus is greater than the angels. That Jesus is greater than the Old Testament sacrificial system. and, And Christ is greater than the high priest. And when you get to chapter 10, you start meditating and you start thinking about what that means. That this great and awesome Savior lived for you, died for you, rose from the dead, saved you, and has called you to be one of his people. And as one of his people, we're considering the the goodness and the mercies and the greatness of God, and we are then following the commands that he gives to us. I love that in verse 22. Draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then we get to today's passage, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Both of these are equally important here. Holding fast the confession of hope. Don't waver knowing that Jesus is faithful and he is good and God will make good on whatever he has promised. So not wavering, being faithful to his word, uh, proclaiming his gospel, having a light uh, in a dark and dying world, but then also considering how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembly together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I just have two main points. The first one would be the heartbeat of fellowship. The heartbeat of fellowship. And what do I mean by that? What, what it makes up fellowship? What is it? What makes it tick? How do we know what it is? The heartbeat of fellowship. Number one, it includes all believers. And you won't have time to write all these down, but I'll go back. Number one, it includes all believers. Number two, it requires effort and thought. Number three, it jumpstarts our walk in two key areas. Number four, it is encouraging. And number five, it is time sensitive. Let's go back to number one. It includes all believers. It says, and let us. Let us. The author of Hebrews is writing to his audience, and it transfers to all of us throughout time that are Christians, every single Christian is included in this. No man is an island. No man can do this on his own. We need accountability. We need the entire body. Think of that illustration, right? The body of Christ. You might be an eye, but you're not a toe. You might be a nose, but you're not a mouth. And so you're not complete without the entire body. And we come to church, we fellowship with one another, being a a complete body for the work of Jesus Christ. And if you are a Christian, that means this includes you. This isn't a lesson for another person. This lesson is for you. Let 
us. We all need to do this. And it might be that you're good at fellowship, that you love interacting with people, and you love coming to church. But we all still need to sit here and think through what the author is about to write. It includes all believers. If, if you're the Christian that wants to take his ball and go home and play without others, that's not Christianity. It's not what it is. Sometimes people forget that church isn't just for you. I go to church for others. You go to church for others. You might be doing okay. But what about that other person? There's someone here that needs you, that could appreciate your interaction that you have with them. So the heartbeat of fellowship, number one, it includes all believers. Number two, it requires effort and thought. And some of you are like, whoa, it's summer. I'm out on those. Effort? Thought? What do you, what do you mean? Look at the word consider. Consider. It literally means to take note of or to perceive. It's used in the book of Acts chapter 7 when it comes to the description of Moses and the burning bush in the wilderness. It says, after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the wilderness, uh, the front of Mount Sinai, in the flame of a burning thorn bush. And when Moses saw the flaming bush, he went along his way and completely ignored it, not taking note of it at all. No, that's not what it says, all right? Tending the sheep, doing his thing, and boom, there's a bush that's on fire and it ain't burning up. Do you think that got his attention? Yes. It says he marveled at the sight. And as he approached to look more closely, there came the voice of the Lord I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. So God got Moses' attention with this bush that would not extinguish, a flaming bush. So Moses saw it and he perceived it. He took note of it. He began to analyze and study and become marveled at it. And so today when we see this word consider, it's calling us to action. It's calling us to action. What does my attitude of fellowship look like? Do I come and go when I please? Am I committed to these other people sitting in this room right now? Am I committed to the overall body of Christ? Or am I just showing up to youth group? You need to take some time to reflect and to consider, to take note of some key things. There are lots of things that we exhaustively consider in our own lives. Does this shirt look good? Do these stripes make me look fat? What does is, what is my hair look like? What do I want to do today? Right? You consider and you think of all of those things. When is the last time you sat down and you evaluated and you thought about your fellowship with others? The third piece of the heartbeat of fellowship, it jumpstarts our walk in two key areas. It jumpstarts our walk in two key areas. We are to consider 
how to stimulate one another. How to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Let's look at that first phrase right there. How to stimulate one another. The one another, obviously, are other Christians. Okay? So other people that have repented and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we stimulate. It means to, to rouse to activity. To rouse to activity. We have our uh, men's and now our women's basketball league going on on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And some of those in the, the older crowd, not naming any na- names, always ask the joke, do you have a defibrillator just in case? What is that? That's the little shocky thing. And we do. It's over there in the hall, but I don't tell you about it because I don't want you to use it. But you can probably think of the TV show or the movie and the person, they're like, oh, he's dead. And they're like, no, we got this. And they do the little paddles, clear. And it stimulates. It jump starts, right? Or now I think they have those little pads they put on you or whatever it is, okay? It's, it's in the movie, so it must be real. We need to think about our brothers and sisters in Christ, looking at where are they hurting, where are they struggling, how can I help jumpstart them? How many times do you look at someone else and say, I can't believe that. Look, even though we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we still sin. We still struggle with sin. So we don't write each other off. We pray for one another. We love one another. We encourage one another. And at times, we confront one another. You are here to be one of those EKG machines. You, you think of, uh, any of y'all plant things? Maybe a few of you, all right? Every once in a while, Kim will want to plant something. And I'm like, look, I'll dig the hole. That's the part I'm good at. I can dig a hole, all right? But then she, she puts some uh, hoodoo voodoo in this little bucket with water and pours it on the roots, and it's supposed to stimulate those roots to get them to, to go. It's not really voodoo, okay? Don't go home and tell your parents that Kim's doing voodoo. It's some, some miracle grow or something like that. It's supposed to grow the plant. Well, that's what we should be to one another. Specifically, when you look at, the others in this room, but also everyone at our church, how can you stimulate them to love? We know the greatest two commandments are to love God and to love others. So the people sitting next to you, the people that you're sitting with in the worship service, the the kids that you are serving at Awana or at VBS... How can you get them to love better? God and other people. And this is where the effort and the thought comes in. This is an intentional thing. I know if you're doing our reading plan, and I hope that you've enjoyed the the different psalms that the leaders have chosen, okay? If you're honest with yourself, it doesn't take a long time to read and answer and meditate on those things. But you also need to be meditating and thinking about your day. Who am I going to come in contact with? Who needs love? Who needs me to give a gentle rebuke to? Who can I be praying for? 
you can do this by, first of all, loving them. By loving them. You want to stimulate someone to love? You have to love them first. You have to model that to them first. I want you to go to John 13. I know you know these verses well, but I want you to flip over there. John 13. We know from 1 John 4.19 that we love because God first loved us. Since we are believers, we now have the capacity to love. The Holy Spirit indwells us. He gives us the, the fruit of love to exhibit in our lives and to practice. But Jesus in the upper room in John 13, before he leaves his disciples, says this in verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Put yourself in the context of the scene for a moment. Jesus is spending his last bit of time with his disciples. They're about to see Jesus arrested, beaten, whipped, crucified, left to die on a cross. And then they're going to have a few days in there of uncertainty and fear. And he's saying, guys, love each other. Love each other. And Jesus knew that he would raise from the dead and that he would comfort them and that he would charge them to take his message into a dark and dying, hostile world. And he says, you know what you need to do? You need to love each other because this is tough. They're going to hate you. They're going to put you in jail. They're going to try to kill you. So you need to love each other. But you know what's going to draw people to us? You know what's going to draw people? Why don't you love each other? And you see that modeled in Acts, right? You see how the, the consistency, the, the selling things, and the helping, and the loving, and the bonding, and the spending time together. And then the rest of the world who's so isolated and selfish, and it's me, 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 looks at us and say, wow, look at them. They genuinely love each other and care for each other. So when you're out at Bear Creek Park playing volleyball, or you're off somewhere playing basketball, or you're playing frisbee, or whatever it is that you're doing and you're interacting, the youth that are around you should be able to see Christ through your loving interaction for one another. And if you haven't picked up on this, teenagers are mean. And they're cruel. And they deliberately pick people to tear down, to build themselves up. That's not you, right? That's not you. And parents will perceive that, and youth will perceive that by this Men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You have love for one another. Love. Them. But how, do, how do I love them? Well, what would be special to you? What would make you feel loved? People come sit with you. People write down your prayer requests. People text you, encourage me. Hey, I'm praying for you. Being there, including, inviting, interacting. That's how you love people. 
And if you want to consider how to stimulate them to love, you have to love them first. You can't be a mean, obnoxious jerk. You can't ignore them and expect then to stimulate them to love. You have to love them first. But we also need to gently expose hateful attitudes. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. There are times that we need to make sure that we have no speck or log in our own eye, that we need to make sure that our walk is right with the Lord, and then we need to sit down and gently correct or rebuke using the Word of God, our friends. And that's not mean. That's not harsh. That's not judgmental. That's love. That's love. And sometimes you need to call your friends out when they're forsaking church, when they're not coming to church, when they're not doing the things they're supposed to do, and you do that out of love. I mean, think of, you've seen the parent, right, that doesn't discipline his kid? You've been in the grocery store line with them. And you're like, look, I got a belt. I will take care of this, okay? Help me out. The parents say they love their kids, but they don't correct their kids. They don't really love them. They're doing the easy thing, right? As friends, we need to be very careful. We need to be gracious and kind, humble and loving. And if we model that love to them, then we can gently call our friends to repentance. Thirdly, you can do this by encouraging each other in your spiritual disciplines. Or what we would call the essentials. How are you doing in Bible study? I I love you. What have you been reading lately? This is what I have been reading. And now sometimes people get the idea that fellowship can only be done with like a deep, dark conversation about the, the inner workings of your soul. Hey, how are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm doing all right, but what did, what did you memorize lately? Um, uh, see ya. Hey, what's that? You know, there, there can be a, 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 a mixture or a blend with it, but we don't want to ignore these things. I mean, when's the last time you've actually asked your friend, how's your walk with the Lord going? What have you been, what have you been reading lately? This is what I've been reading. I've been encouraged by this. Is there a verse that you've just really enjoyed? There's all sorts of things that we can do, but we want to encourage, we want to love each other. So these things, prayer, evangelism, Bible study, maybe you talk with a friend and say, hey, look, you know what, I struggle to share the gospel. Why don't we, th- why don't we think of someone and let's, let's pray for their salvation and then let's, let's plan to go talk with them. Let's do this together. Let's do this as a team, right? That is how you love. And what I'm saying is, this includes everybody. The heartbeat of fellowship is every single Christian. And it requires effort and thought. You have to consider this. And then you do it. You do it. You help others be jump-started in love. And then the other one is good deeds. I love that word good. It's beautiful. Beautiful deeds. You think of Ephesians 2 that we walk through, how we're all dead in our trespasses and sins, and we're walking according to the prince of the power of the air, sons and daughters of disobedience, hateful, hating one another. But in verse 4, but God. God comes in, 
and he rescues us and he calls us and he draws us unto himself and he gives us a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that that faith is not a result of works, but it's because of his goodness. But then in verse 10, it says, for we are his what? His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works so that we would walk in them. The good works is not practicing sin. But it's also practicing righteousness. Practicing righteousness. Putting off sin, but putting on the righteousness, and then actively participating in deeds that further the kingdom. Actively participating in deeds that further the kingdom. These beautiful deeds. Well, how can, how can you do this? Just like with love, Love starts with what? You loving them. You walk in those deeds first. If you want them to walk in good deeds, you need to already be participating in those. You need to be an example. Just like Paul says, be an imitator of me as I am an imitator of Christ. You should be saying, hey, why don't you follow me because I'm following Jesus. Let's both follow Jesus together. Let's don't listen to that. Let's don't watch that. Let's don't talk like that. Let's don't think like that. Let's don't act like that. Let's do good things, beautiful things. I can't live like the world and then call my friend to live like Jesus. And all too often... We think of our walk as just our walk. And oh well, I'll take the consequences for that sin. But your walk is our walk. And when you're not doing what you're supposed to do, then you hurt the overall kingdom. You hurt the overall kingdom. So you walk in them first, then you gently expose lazy and disobedient attitudes. You spur them on to good deeds by gently exposing lazy and disobedient attitudes. Thirdly, you encourage each other in your spiritual disciplines. And you're like, wow, this is really similar to the love thing. Yeah. They go hand in hand, right? They go hand in hand. Think of a, a friend that you have who professes to know Christ, but they don't serve anywhere at church. There are good deeds to be done. Okay, God has gifted this church. Each individual has different spiritual gifts. And we're supposed to be all using it in harmony. Or let's say that you, your friend signs up for VBS. And you're serving in VBS, but they're not doing what they're supposed to do. The adult is asking them to do something, but they don't want to do it. In a loving and gracious way, you call them out. But you, first of all, model what you're supposed to do. Model that obedience. Model that good deed. Courage your friends. Spur them on. Make it the cool thing to do the right thing. Make it the cool thing to do the right thing. When it comes to, to issues like modesty, make it the cool thing to do the right thing. You know what? 
I know the standards that have been communicated. I'm going to follow those standards when I'm at youth group or when I'm serving at VBS or when I'm serving at the kids' basketball camp. I'm going to take care of me first, and then I'm going to help my friends. Because this life isn't about me. It's about God, and it's about others. And there are good deeds to be done. In this youth group, there are youth that are hurting. There are youth that need the gospel. There, is, there are youth that feel lonely. There are youth that are going through very difficult things at home. How do you respond to that? Do you just pick and choose when you show up? Or do you show up to fellowship with them, to love them, to get to know them? To think through that person, these people in my small group, how do I make them love Jesus more? How do I spur them on? How do I spur them on? There's going to be situations at camp, and maybe you're on a team and you're not excited about that team, or you're sitting next to someone and you're not necessarily excited about that. We need to put aside those selfish attitudes, and we need to think of the, the glory of God and His kingdom. Fourthly, and this is, this is big for, not fourth way to do good deeds, it is encouraging. So the heartbeat of fellowship, it includes all believers, number one. Number two, it requires effort and thought. Number three, it jumpstarts our walk in two key areas. Four, it is encouraging. But encouraging one another. And that's a good summary statement, right? You know what encourages you. You know what builds you up. Why don't you do that for other people? Number five, it is time sensitive. What do I mean by that? It says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The return of Christ is soon. The tribulation, the day of the Lord is soon. Your opportunity to do these types of things while on earth is waning. You don't know if you're guaranteed another day or guaranteed another breath. We need to make sure we do it. How many times do you read something in the Bible and you say, oh, I'll get to that later. Maybe next year I'll, I'll actually memorize the verses. Now is the time to practice this. And I love, it's like, you know, convenient that this lesson happens right before we get in tin cans with wheels and we drive a really long distance. And we do things together for a concentrated amount of time. Wow, what timing. What timing. So that's the heartbeat of fellowship. Secondly, and obviously it's not going to be quite as long, the heartbreak of forsaking fellowship. The heartbreak of forsaking fellowship. The first part of this lesson is, is the positive side. What we get out of it, what it produces, how we do these things. The last part warns us not forsaking our own assembly as is the habit of some. Not forsaking. We, we understand that word forsake, right? Remember Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's to turn your back on something. In that moment in time, God turned his back on Jesus so that he could pour out his wrath upon Jesus for us. 
some of us turn our back on fellowship. There are times that we, we do it for a period. We're, we're struggling. We're getting distracted with other things. We're, we're selfish with our time. But then some of you, you just don't care because you just don't love Jesus. You don't really love Jesus, so why would you want to spend time with Jesus' people? You are dead in your sins. You are self-absorbed. You are walking according to the prince of the power of the air. So you don't want to come to church. And when you do come to church, you just want to fill selfish desires. You can trick me, and it looks like everything is great in your life, and it's all hunky-dory, but you can't trick God. To have true fellowship, you must repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But once you have done that, you should want to come to church. I love reading your ministry apps, right? And I just got a slew of them the other day, and I read through a lot of them. And it asks the question, describe your life since you've come to know Christ. And of course, it puts in parentheses three, three sentences or more. Some of you really need to understand what a sentence is, okay? But most of the time, you say, I used to not want to go to church, but now I want to go to church. I didn't like the lessons, but now I want to hear the lessons. That's a changed heart. That's a changed life. That's what it should be. You should want to come here, not just because we have donuts, but because you get to interact with one another and you get to build up one another and you get to, to love on one another. Don't forsake that. Don't forsake that. There's times that you may not want to come because you fear accountability. You know you're in sin and you know your friends are going to call you out on it. So you want to run as far away as possible. Far away from possible. I always tell people that when Rocky first came, he was my youth pastor. When he first came to the youth group, I didn't really like Rocky. Because in his lessons, he kept talking about all the bad stuff I was doing. And then I realized that he was just preaching the word of God. And the Lord was using that to the Holy Spirit to convict me. I could have run because I didn't want the accountability. But God had me keep coming and growing and learning and then making the changes necessary. Some people get so distracted with the events of the world that church is just a, a side note. It's just a side note. You know, I was thinking about today when I was driving to church and there was this horde, this whole biker gang. They're actually like those cyclist people in the funny outfits. Um, and if you or your parents wear those, pretend I didn't say that. Um, but you know, you could wear normal shorts. No one noticed. notice. All right, so they, they like to do the bicycling thing, right? And it's a Sunday morning. I'm like, is this a, is this a biker church? Are they all cycling there? And I was like, how do people kind of think through some of this stuff? Well, maybe they have a later service. They're getting a, an early ride, and then boom, and then you know. And then I was like, you know what? I bet a lot of these people go on Saturday night. And if you wanted to build a megachurch, step one is to have a Saturday night service. Why is that? Well, it's convenient, right? Now, I'm not saying that there aren't some well-meaning churches that have had to do that because of space issues. We had a decision in front of us. We have a space issue, in, not like outer space. Uh, we, we don't have enough room second service. So we, we threw out a, a bunch of ideas on how to solve it. And some of them were horrible ideas, all right? 
And some of them were good and yada, yada. One of them was, well, we could do a Saturday night service. Well, it's not that it's like heretical to have a Saturday night service, but you, you split the congregation, right? You also have a little bit of a, a consumer mentality. Oh, Sat- Sunday's kind of busy. We'll just pop in Saturday night and we'll pop out. And that's how a lot of churches have gotten real big because they have just offered tons of services. You can kind of go whenever you want, pick a little cheer, you know, a little buffet over here, a little cart over here, and uh, there we go. Instead, we, we said, no, we want to make it work to where our people know Sunday morning. So your life, your schedule, the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ is Sunday. Sunday morning, that's where your schedule starts. And you got to start that now, or when you get to college, oh, I could sleep in here. Oh, I'll go to church uh, another night. Oh, I'll, I'll, you know, and then it starts stacking up. Sunday morning is church. Now, I'm not saying you're in sin if you ever miss. It happens from time to time, okay? But the overall patterns of your life is boom, that's it. That's super important. And when you start with that priority, then everything else in your life kind of schedules around that. And that's how you make sure that you don't forsake the assembly of the body of Christ, as is the habit of some. But I do want you to understand, these verses in Hebrews, they're not just talking about formal church. That's a big part of it, okay? We're talking about life on life with one another. There's no just like, I'm going to go home and shut the garage door and then not interact or talk with any other humans until it's time for church on the next Sunday. The, the fellowship happens in other ways as well. Don't close off your life from other people that are part of your church, other believers. Now let's, let's wrap this up, okay? And there's just two things I want you to jot down. First one would be, Cherish fellowship to stimulate your growth. Cherish fellowship to stimulate your growth. Remember these essentials, they are to help strengthen our devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And you're like, but how does that work? Well, when I show up, the person teaching has studied God's Word. And they're explaining it, and they're helping me apply it, and that helps me grow. And those that are doing music have picked Christ-honoring, Scripture-based songs to tune our heart to God. And the people that I'm sitting with and that I'm interacting with, they're deliberately thinking how to stimulate me to love and good deeds. And when I don't come, I don't benefit from that. So I cherish, I love, because we we do the things we love, right? I cherish fellowship, knowing the benefit it can be to me. But then secondly, cherish fellowship to stimulate the growth of others. To stimulate the growth of others. Think of, a, think of a sports team. A sports team is only as strong as the weakest link, right? So you can get better 
right? But can you win the game on your own? No, as Luca proved this year, you can't win the game on your own. You need teammates. And so in a sports setting, you could get rid of those teammates and get new ones. Or you could help those teammates get better. The teammates you have, are, 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 is, if it's basketball, are you shooting? Are you dribbling? If it's, if it's football, are you lifting? Are you running? Hey, let's all go run routes together. All those things, right? I can't do it on my own, so I need to elevate the play of my teammates. Well, we are here for the glory of God. We are here to further his kingdom. And can you do that on your own? Absolutely not. So we need to, to build up and to encourage the people that are around us. You ever been around that person that is just so kind and it's so loving that you think something's wrong with them? You know those people, right? It's like they peer into your soul and, and they sprinkle goodness and kitties on you and it just makes you woo! Imagine if that was all of us. I'm not saying you have to be overly obsessively kind, but what if all of us we're thinking about each other. Oh, hey, you'd like to sit there? Great. Oh, hey, you want to play the game? Let's go. Hey, come on. I'm going to go get some snacks. Do you want to join me? Hey, what's going on in your life? Can I be praying for you? I mean, imagine that. If we all elevate our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we're all pulling each other up to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, imagine what can be accomplished. I'm telling you right now, when we get on that bus tomorrow, there are people that don't know Jesus that are coming and watching you. We could win them to Christ through our faithful obedience to his word and the modeling of what a Christian is. Think of that. Or we could be rotten and nasty and we can further drive them away from Jesus. We could use these five days as a great time of bonding and encouragement and, and, and brotherhood and sisterhood and all. Or we could fight and we can bicker and we can be selfish. With our group, our hope is that we're a community of cross-bearing Christians. Let's lay aside our own desires, take up the cross, and follow Jesus and his example. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you so much. We thank you for the, the bold truths that have been communicated in the book of Hebrews. And I pray that we would all sit and contemplate and pray. How can we apply these today, tomorrow, for the rest of our lives so that you would be glorified and that your kingdom would advance? We love you, Father, and it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.